Hey, Hopevale, welcome to our online worship experience. I'm Sam Burke, I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Hopevale. Thanks for spending some time together worshiping with us today. If this is your first time with us, there's a few things that you should know. The first thing is that we are a church that's all about inviting people to know and follow Jesus. That's the heartbeat of Hopevale. We also want to get to know you better and for you to get to know us better. And so if you would head over to hopevale.org new and fill out our online connect card, that's the fastest and best way for that to happen. Family with kids or preteens, don't forget about our family resource page where you can find content for the whole family to grow in your faith together. Head over to hopevale.org family resources to check those out. And for all the latest information about our relaunching in-person gatherings as soon as possible and as safe as possible, go to hopevale.org relaunch. Well, in a few moments, we're going to spend some time singing together and learning together. Pastor Dan's starting a new series today called Better, Four Wise Choices for a Better Life. And I personally cannot wait to hear what God has laid on his heart to teach us. But before that, let's start our service together with prayer. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for um, the ability to gather online and worship you today. Um, God, we invite you into our spaces. We invite your Holy Spirit to, to come to teach us. Um, and as we sing together, as we learn together, that we might grow to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be better because of what we experience today. And God, we pray that uh, as our world is still facing this pandemic and all of the, the things that are going on and all the unrest, God, we pray for your peace. We pray for um, your comfort. And we pray that we as your church would take your light into this world and um, that we would show um, the world who Jesus is and how much you love them because of your son, Jesus. God, thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks for logging in with us, worshiping together. I don't know if you've been singing it all this week, but we're going to raise our hallelujahs and sing a little louder. Here we go. I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah My weapon is a melody I raise a Thank you. 
absolutely nobody and there's nothing better than you how good it is to gather together uh, from near or far and sing that from the bottom of our heart because we mean it we log in today because we're looking for you again but we're logging in today because we know that you've been there in the past and we know that you've done some amazing things in our lives and giving us our lives just period so thank you for that and uh, God, pray, we pray that, um, speaking of that word better, this new series we're in and starting today, we pray that we're just better today for being honest with you, better for coming to worship you, better for hearing your word, better for our families, better for our spouses, better for our friends, better for our kids, for our parents, better our jobs. God, will we be a people that display the fruit of the Spirit in such a beautiful way that you would be so proud? While a lot of people are arguing about masks and politics, would you find us uh, being people that are about love and light and just making us better to the best uh, that we can be for you, Lord? In your name, amen. Take us deeper, Rudy. You know, there are those... Um those times when you feel alone or you feel let down or you feel sad or, or depressed. And, you know, these feelings are real. And especially during a time like this where the pandemic has really shaped people's lives and doing different things. And for my own testimony for myself, um, having to be alone having to be alone for a long period of time and wondering where, where do I run to? And I remember in those lowest moments when I was by myself that I would just run to the Father and learn more about the heart of the Father because I felt like there's no one to talk to, there's no one I can be around. And he's just arms open wide, arms open wide. And I would just run to him. This next song, I just really want you to press in. Close your eyes and just run to the Father.
carried a burden for too long on my own. And I wasn't created to bear it alone. And I hear your invitation.
Hey, Hope Valley, this is Pastor Dan, and I too want to thank you for logging on and joining us for worship as we continue together virtually as one church in multiple locations all throughout the Great Lakes Bay region. Today we're beginning a new series, and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit, but I first want to give you the backstory. As some of you know, our youngest son, Jack, got married last month. He's the first of our three kids to do so. And of course, we had to deal with the complexities of a pandemic, of lockdown, and of constantly changing plans. You know, um, as we thought about what this wedding meant, and as they talked about those plans, they debated the merits of pushing back their wedding so they could have things normal. But in the end, they stuck with their original date of June 13th, which meant that they went from their Plan A wedding of over 200 in attendance to a Plan B wedding of under 20. Nevertheless, the day was phenomenal. The weather was great. Pictures were taken. Smiles were aplenty. Vows were spoken. And memories that last a lifetime were made. God showed up, and we give him all the praise for that. As a matter of fact, like any good dad would do, I've got some pictures to share with you. This is Jack and his bride, Grace. They got married in Holland, Michigan, and so they took this picture and had that windmill photoshopped in the background. No, just kidding. It's real. Then here's a picture of the ceremony capturing that moment right after those magical words you may now kiss the bride. And yep, that's me lurking in the background. I had the privilege of officiating their wedding. Again, another lifelong memory, although I am still waiting to get paid. And then finally, from their Plan B reception, I love this picture, right? This is Jack, Grace, and their wedding party popping a bottle of ship of uh, sparkling non-alcoholic grape juice. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Seriously though, great time had by all and so grateful for many of you who joined us in prayer and encouragement and support. That really meant a lot. Anyways, back to the backstory for this series. That is, part of their wedding ceremony, Jack and Grace wanted to do what's called a cord of three strands ceremony. It's like the unity candle, the cross ceremony, or the, the sand ceremony. You've seen that before, right? Where the bride and the groom each have a separate vial of colored sands and they pour that together collectively into one container, right? Well, anyways, the court of three strands ceremony is where the officiating pastor joins the couple in braiding together three separate strands or ropes into one unified cord to symbolize that Christian marriage isn't just the joining of a husband and wife, but that it's also their union with Jesus Christ as an integral part of their marriage and that he would be woven into every aspect of it. It really is this great visual symbol. And this idea of one cord that's made up of three strands, it comes from an Old Testament passage in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, where it says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor, that if either of them falls down, one can help up the other. 
But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So that's some of the origin behind this ceremony, but as I was preparing for their wedding, there was another part of that passage that I kept going back to, and it's this word right here, better. Better, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor, and the passage goes on to say how two is better than one. Not equal, not the same, but better. That in the wisdom of King Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes says he is inspired by God, that is, he's living his own life and he's observing others do so as well. He concludes that it is better to go through life with friendship and companionship than it is isolation and loneliness. Better. And so that sent me on a treasure hunt in the Bible to see where something is labeled as better when it's compared with something else. And you know, it's amazing how often that shows up. That the word better appears in Scripture well over 100 times, often in what's known as the wisdom literature of the Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, where in many cases what is labeled as better has to do with the choices we make that can determine the direction of our lives. And so today and over these next four weeks, I want us to see what God says is better. What God says is better for us and the wisdom that he has for us when we come to those times in life when we hit a fork in the road. The fork in the road where we can go one way or the other both in that moment when we face the fork, but also in the long run. See, our choices matter because let's face it, that the sum of our decisions shapes the course of our destiny. The sum, when you add up all the decisions we make, right? the sum, the total, that shapes the course of our destiny, that our choices matter. Not all choices are created equal. No, some really are better, and so whether you are six 16 or 60, or anywhere else in that mix, right? It is never too early, nor is it ever too late to get on board with God's better wisdom for your life. And so my hope is that by the time we're done with this series, we will have greater clarity, greater conviction, and a greater capability to know and to choose what our God says is better for us. Well, that's my introduction for this series. In a moment, we will get to our better passage for the day. But before that, I need to clarify something up front about the Bible. Here it is, that the Bible has great advice for life, but it's so much more than just an advice book. The Bible has great advice for life, but it is so much more than just an advice book. So, you know, on the one level, you can follow the wisdom of Scripture regardless of where you stand with God, and things will go well for you in your life. They will. You will be better in how you spend your time, how you handle your relationships, how you manage your money, how you work through conflict, how you approach your job, how you deal with difficult people. A lot of great wisdom for a better life. 
But see, here's the thing. If you just stop right there at the advice level, you are going to miss out on the Bible's greatest treasure. You know what that is? That is the revelation of Jesus Christ and who he wants to be for you as your Savior and your Lord. That's where the riches of Scripture are found. I think of it this way. Picture someone giving you a really well-wrapped present, right? You look at it and just there's beauty and artistry in how it's packaged. As a matter of fact, you could even prominently display this present in your home and it would enliven your decor, right? But it would be a waste to do so because the real treasure is the gift inside. Likewise, as we go through this series, I want you to pay attention to these better statements from the Bible because they will improve your life for the better. They will make it better. But I don't want you to stop there because Jesus Christ, who himself in Scripture is called the wisdom of God, he can and he will not just change your life, but he will give you life. He will give you life if you let him. New life, abundant life, forgiven life, eternal life, and life everlasting in the kingdom of God, both now and forever. This Jesus, who bore our sins and died on the cross in our place. This Jesus, who rose victoriously from the grave. He wants to give you this capital L life. And it is yours when you call upon his name. After all, when it comes to Jesus, it's not just a matter of better. No, his love is one that stands alone as the best, right? So, with that in mind, let's go ahead and dive into our series and look at the first of our better statements from Scripture. This one is found in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 says this, that a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed, to be well thought of, is better than silver or gold. In other words, that if you want a better life, then you should value your reputation more than your riches. Your reputation more than your riches, which also implies then that there are going to be times in life where we're going to be faced with the choice between the two and we can only choose one. The choice between what I have versus how I'm known. And so in that moment, God in his infinite wisdom warns us not to sacrifice our reputation for the sake of riches. Why? Because a good name is more desirable than great riches and to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, we're challenged with the question, what does this mean? What does this mean? I don't understand it, that there's something about this passage that is confusing or unclear to us. But then there are other times when we know what it says. But to be gut level honest, we're not quite sure if we really want to do it or if we're actually able to do it. And see, that's the dynamic going on with this passage in Proverbs. In other words, we know the better choice. The question is, will we make the better choice? Well, for starters, I I do need to say this, right? That for some people, they do have both. There are some who really have a 
good reputation and a whole lot of money, right? It's not always one or the other. As a matter of fact, I do think God sometimes honors people of integrity when it comes to worldly wealth so that as they have proven themselves faithful with a few things, God entrusts them with even more things, just like Jesus teaches us in the Gospels. But I also guarantee you that men and women like this have been tempted earlier on in their journeys to compromise their convictions for the sake of a quick buck, but instead they wound up saying no and made the better choice. And see, that's the whole thing about this reputation versus riches fork in the road, that no matter how much or how little we have, we are always going to face some really tempting choices. Really tempting choices like to cheat on our taxes, to bend the rules at work, to falsify our expense reports, to overinflate the claims of the goods and services we sell, to skimp on the wages of the people we employ, to misrepresent the condition of our home when we put it on the market, or to prey upon gullible people and take advantage of their trust. I mean, what is it about the nature of money, wealth, and possessions that makes it so hard for us to say no and to choose the better alternative instead? Well, contrary to popular belief, the Bible does not condemn money. It doesn't. No, the Bible teaches that riches are inherently neutral in their nature, that they are neither good nor evil in and of themselves. So the Bible doesn't condemn money, but the Bible does warn us about what it can do to us. And that's why the choice can be so difficult. Which leads us then to this well-known but often misquoted passage from the Bible, that in the New Testament book of 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We can fall in love with money, and when we do, it leads to all kinds of evil, both personally in our lives and relationally with others. That if we're eager for money, we may wander from our faith spiritually. We may inflict piercing grief upon ourselves emotionally. And then verse nine, right before, look at this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. How graphic, right? Plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's what foolish and harmful desires, misplaced love, for money can do, right? It's what our hearts love. It's what they long after, right? And that's what makes this choice so hard. So what is it about the allure of money that makes it so seductive? And why would we be willing to sacrifice our good name for the sake of more money? Well, basically, here's the temptation that we can look to money to take the place that God rightfully and exclusively deserves in our lives on the basis of the false and empty promises that riches can make. False and empty, here's what I mean, right? The false promises of riches, that money promises us security, right? If I have money, I am safe. Promises significance, that if I have money, I am important. Promises satisfaction, if I have money, I am happy. And so some of us want more money because we think it'll take away our worry and make us feel safer or that'll boost our low self-esteem 
and make us look important. Or it'll get rid of our sadness and make us happier. Right? AKA retail therapy, one more purchase to numb the pain. But see, in the long run, money can never live up to these promises. And so when we sacrifice our reputation for the sake of riches, we will, as Paul says, plunge ourselves into ruin and destruction. Why? Because we are worshiping the wrong thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Security, significance, satisfaction, these are legitimate human needs. That is how God has created us, but it is only God in a relationship with him through his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that can give us the security, significance, and satisfaction that our hearts long for through a relationship that is freely offered by the grace of God that becomes ours solely through faith in Jesus. We start with Jesus to become a Christian, and then we stay with Jesus to grow as a Christian. That's why back in 1 Timothy 6, Paul goes on to tell us this, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, which is going to let you down, which can't live up to its promises, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love this passage. You have a warning, you have a command, and you have a promise. The warning is don't do this. Don't put your hope in worldly wealth. Instead, you have a command. Instead, put your hope in God. And then here's the promise. Because he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And I love what this says about God. That God is for our joy. He is when it is rightly placed in him. And so when the hope of your heart is rooted in God rather than wealth, that's when you are going to have both the desire and the ability to resist the temptation to make the better choice, to value reputation over riches. So let's go back to our passage for the day then, Proverbs 22, verse 1, right? A good name is more desirable than great riches, and to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. In other words, don't cut corners. Don't compromise your convictions. Don't give in to temptation. It's just not worth it. Because what you desire, what you esteem, should be how you're known far more than what you have. So for the rest of our time, let's talk more about our reputation, okay? And why that should be important to us. Because, you know, in some ways, if you think about it, you know, to, to care about a reputation might seem vain and, and prideful, right? And to think about what others think about us. As a matter of fact, you know, we can be tempted to obsess too much about the approval of others, where that too can take the place of Jesus and his unconditional love and acceptance for us, where other people's approval becomes what our hearts chase after to feel safe or to feel happy or to feel important. See, and so this is where I would make a distinction, right? A distinction between image and reputation. Our image versus our reputation, right? We craft an image by what we project, but we earn a reputation by how we live. We craft an image by what we project, we earn a reputation by how we live. 
See, an image is something we try to control, which, by the way, is the big temptation of social media, right? This image we're putting out for others to see us in a certain light. But a reputation, that is something that's beyond our control. How we live influences that, but we don't dictate it. So an image, you know, it's often phony, disconnected from reality, while reputation, a good name, as it says in Proverbs 22.1, is something that we build by living authentically, by making choices of integrity over time. Reputation, not image. So this isn't about crafting an image to try to impress people. No, this is about earning a reputation. It's you authentically living out your faith in Jesus. It's about you making choices of integrity over time. And let me tell you now more than ever before, our world is desperately craving upstanding, trustworthy people who have a well-earned good name, who aren't going to take advantage of them, but rather are going to treat them with dignity and respect. Riches are tempting, but your reputation is worth it. Your reputation is worth it. And so as I close, let me just give you a couple reasons why. First, a good reputation invites trust and builds meaningful relationships. You and I were never meant to be alone. And a good reputation greases the skids for trust, which is the foundation of any good relationship. And when I say meaningful relationships, that's true personally, it's true professionally. In other words, a good reputation, there's something in it for you. There really is when you make the better choice, even if the payoff doesn't happen right away. See, you can get rich quick, you just can't make friends quick. No, quality friendships, close relationships, good marriages, strong families, all the stuff that really matters in the end, it takes time. And they're built upon trust, not wealth. And so you have to build that. How? By living honorably with the choices you make, treating others respectfully. That's how it works. I know this is going to sound rather morbid, but as a pastor, I'm pretty sure I've probably been to more funerals than the rest of you. And I can tell you that tears are shed not over how much the deceased had, but rather how well they were loved. I've seen funerals of people with modest means that are packed out. And I've seen funerals of people with great wealth that are sparsely attended. Again, money in and of itself isn't evil, but in our quest for more of it, we can lose our soul. We can compromise our conviction. We can drive people away, and we can miss out on what really matters most, all because we valued riches over reputation. No, a good reputation invites trust, and it builds meaningful relationships. And then second, a good reputation glorifies our God and advances his gospel. When you have a good reputation as a believer in Jesus Christ, glorifies your God, and it advances his gospel. And so if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if his love has captured your heart like we've been worshiping today, then you shouldn't just care about what other people think of you, but you should also care about what other people think of him. That's why every time I read about one more church scandal somewhere, it grieves my heart. 
It does because I know that the fallout is going to be ugly, and I know that it's going to push some people away even further from knowing and experiencing the love and forgiveness of Jesus that they so desperately need. See, that's the dynamic of earning a good reputation. It takes a lifetime to build, but just a moment to destroy. But then here's the flip side, that God can. And God will use his church in a hostile and unbelieving world like ours when his people walk in integrity. He can. The New Testament book of 1 Peter has a lot of wonderful things to say about this, but there's one verse in particular I want to share with you today. That Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, says this. He says, live such good lives, right? Good reputation. Among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives. Now, the they accuse you of doing wrong part has to do with your Christian beliefs. That pagans, unbelievers might think that you're off your rocker, right, because of what you believe, that they look at that as being warped, antiquated, or maybe even harmful. But over time, they just can't ignore your behavior. They can't. They can't ignore the fact that you don't cut corners, that you don't compromise your conviction, that you don't rip people off. Live such good lives out there in a world that's filled with believing and unbelieving people. Because when they see your good deeds... It's going to point them to the God that they are meant to worship. So listen, whether you are a mechanic, a teacher, an accountant, a small business owner, a line worker, a lawn care professional, a daycare helper, or a white-collar executive, you need to know that God is using you right where he has placed you. And he's doing so to make a difference for his kingdom. He is, and every time... That you choose reputation over riches, a good name over dishonest gain. The glory of our God shines even brighter, and the hope of his gospel advances even further. See, that's what happens when our hope is rooted in Jesus, and when we choose what is better because... A good name is more desirable than great riches, and to be esteemed is better than silver or gold or anything else. Let's pray together. Yeah, Lord, the song that we've worshipped today really captures it, that there is nothing better than you. And that we don't have to run after anything else. We don't have to listen to the lies and false promises that seek to sweep us away from all that we have in you. And so thank you for the reminder that our choices matter. And that you invite us into what is better. And so it's not the loud, angry, seductive voices that try to woo us. But it's the strong, powerful, loving voice of our God that invites us into this life with you. So in this case, Lord, it is resisting the siren song of money and all the false promises it makes to feel safe and happy and important and instead to look to you. Because when we place our hope there, it is so uncertain. But when we place our hope in you, Jesus, our living hope, that's when we can live 
and love in the way that you have called us. Because God, we do, we want to build a meaningful life with wonderful relationships. And God, in the small things, in the little things, we want to walk in integrity so that we can glorify our God and advance your gospel. Because you alone are our living hope. We pray this in your victorious name. No claim on me. 
to hang on to, that no matter what happens in this life, we have a living hope, one who raised again from the dead and offers us victory in this life and for all of eternity. Well, thanks for worshiping with us today. And we also want to say a huge thank you for your faithful giving during this very strange season. Your giving is enabling ministry to continue to happen all over the Great Lakes Bay and beyond. Your giving does matter. So if you'd like to give, there are a few ways you can do that. You can sign up for online giving at hopevale.org give or you can text the gift to Hopevale by texting the word Hopevale to 77977. And you can also physically mail us or drop off your gift to our Shattuck Road Ministry Center at 5360 Shattuck Road in Saginaw, Michigan, 48603. Thanks again for worshiping with us. May you live a better life this week because of Jesus.